وأقول في القرآن ما جاءت به آياته فهو الكريم المنزل وأقول قال الله جل جلاله والمصطفى الهادي ولا أتأول الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. As always, we begin by praising Allah Azza wa Jal by asking Allah to exalt the mention and grant peace to our Messenger Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam to his family and his companions. So we've been talking about the essential things that your children need to know about Islam and how to teach your children Islamic knowledge. So I want to recap on a couple of points from the previous episode. First of all, I want to emphasize that what we're not saying here is necessarily that you as the parent need to teach individually all of those things. But as the one who is responsible, as the one who is mas'ul, like the Prophet ﷺ said, وَكُلُّكُمْ مَسْؤُولٌ عَنْ Every one of you is going to be questioned about his flock. As the one who's in charge and the one who's responsible, it's your job to make sure that that education gets done. And that might mean that you do that yourself in certain aspects. It might mean that you share it between the husband and the wife in certain aspects. It may be that you bring in a teacher or a tutor or a madrasa, a part-time school or a full-time Islamic school that supports that. But ultimately, it's your responsibility to make sure that the job gets done. And that means that making sure that you know what it is your child should be learning and making sure that they have that knowledge and you're taking responsibility for that knowledge, inshallah ta'ala. We finished the previous episode by discussing the hadith of Jibreel, alayhi salam. And this hadith of Jibreel, the hadith in Sahih Muslim, from the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah that he narrated from his father Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu ardah. And we said that this hadith really encapsulates the obligatory knowledge, the knowledge which is fardu'ain. It is an obligation upon every Muslim. And we said that when we say that it encapsulates the, the obligatory knowledge, what we don't mean is the individual masail, the individual tiny details in everything. For example, the small details in certain aspects of, let's say, for example, the zakah. What is the zakah upon uh, camels? Or what is the zakah when a person has 400 sheep? Uh, for example, we're not necessarily speaking about those individual masai, but what we're speaking about is the general knowledge about those topics and having enough knowledge to be able to act upon knowledge, to be able to act based upon the knowledge that you have. And we mentioned the ayah, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ لِذَنْبِكَ Know that there is no God that deserves to be worshipped except Allah and then seek forgiveness for your sins. And obviously a huge part of the hadith of Jibreel relates to aqidah, it relates to belief and iman. So first of all, the shahadatain, أَشْهَدُ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهُ وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدُ, وأشهد أن محمد رَسُولُ اللَّهُ 
and then all of the pillars of Iman and tu'mina billahi wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wa yawmil akhir wa an tu'mina bil qadri khayrihi wa sharrih that you believe in Allah and his angels, his scripture, his prophets and you believe in the last day and you believe in the divine decree, the good of it and the bad. All of those aspects, the six pillars of Iman in addition to what is connected to them and mentioned in terms of the shahadatayn, the two testimonies of faith all of that relates to the aqidah of the Muslim. So you see that this is a major, major aspect of what is fardu'ayn upon every parent to make sure that their child knows the correct aqidah, to make sure their child knows the correct Islamic belief, the correct concept of iman, and that they have all the tools they need to protect themselves from the shubuhat, the confusion and the doubts and the misguidance and the false ideas that they could be exposed to. Because if we said that the knowledge which is the knowledge of the, the things that the person needs in order to be able to worship Allah, then no doubt our children in this day and age are being increasingly exposed to uh, doubts, misconceptions, misguidance via the internet and, and, and other means. And so, uh, it becomes even more important for us as parents to doubly emphasize al-aqidah al-islamiyya, the Islamic aqidah, the Islamic belief, the Islamic matters relating to iman and protecting our children, giving them enough to be able to, to protect themselves. And of course, before that, giving them enough to be able to worship Allah based upon knowledge, to worship Allah based upon knowledge. Because Allah created us to worship Him and to know Him Allah created us to know him. Allah الذي خلق سبع سماوات ومن الأرض مثلهن يتنزل الأمر بينهن لتعلموا أن الله على كل شيء قدير وأن الله قد أحاط بكل شيء علما. Allah created the seven heavens and the seven earths like it and his command descends between them so that you may know that Allah is able to do all things and that Allah has encompassed everything with his knowledge. So Allah created the heavens and the earth for you to know Him. So that you can know that Allah is able to do all things and Allah has encompassed everything in His knowledge. And Allah told us in Surah Al-Thariyat, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ We only created the jinn and the men to worship me alone. So ultimately we have been created to know Allah and to worship Allah. So we have to give our children enough of Al-Aqeedah. Al-Islamiyyah, the Islamic belief and the matters of Iman to allow them to be able to know Allah and to worship Allah based upon that and to protect them from all those things that would cause that belief to be corrupt uh, or to be corrupted, to be lost or to be tainted through uh, false notions, desires, misguidance, misconceptions and so on. So if that is the obligatory element of knowledge uh, which is the Islamic aqidah, that which relates to the prayer, how to pray, a, a general understanding of the obligation of zakah and fasting and hajj, and that which relates to the topic of iman, as well as whatever a person needs in their current situation. Whatever a person needs in their current situation and, and no doubt included in that is to know what is haram and to know what to stay away from in terms of the haram. 
So if a person has those basic, that basic knowledge and that basic information, then what is it that is fardu kifaya? Which is the second half of knowledge, you know, the half which is not obligatory upon every single Muslim, but which is obligatory upon the Muslims as a group, as a collective. So as a group, they need to have people who fulfill this job. And if there aren't enough people fulfilling this job, the sin goes upon everybody. So what is this element of knowledge? It is all of the things which come after the obligatory knowledge. So that could be the detailed masail that we mentioned. So we could go back to the hadith of Jibreel and talk about all the individual details about all the different amounts of zakah and the levels of it and the percentages of it and the rules relating to it and the different circumstances and situations that people might go through and when the wealth is gathered together and when is it kept separate, when is it considered of one type and when is it not and the issues in which the scholars differed about that. So we're talking about the details now. And also knowledge of the things that are not immediately needed in terms of their immediate uh, application to that particular person, but the person gains knowledge of them in advance of that. And this voluntary aspect of knowledge, and it includes the knowledge of the supporting Islamic sciences, the sciences like the science of uh, hadith, like the sciences related to fiqh and its principles, the sciences related to the Arabic language and so on, what people would go to study Islam when they would go and study Islam. All of that, generally speaking, falls under the aspect which is fardu kifaya. It is a collective obligation, but it's not necessarily an obligation upon every individual Muslim. Why not? Because as long as there are enough people for someone to be able to go and ask, they can always go and ask about it. They can always go and ask about it. So the Muslim knows that the the, the Hajj, for example, is obligatory. And before they go to Hajj, they get the basic knowledge of how to perform it. And they have a good understanding of what's required from them and what would be haram for them during those days and so on. But when they go to the Hajj, something strange happens, something unusual happens. And for example, they're unable to um, stay one night in Mina, for example. At this point, they have the ability to go and ask somebody and to go to that to that person, to that scholar or that student of knowledge and to ask them and say to them, I wasn't able to spend that night in Mina, what do I have to do? So there has to be those people, those people who go above and beyond the basic requirements that every Muslim needs to have and they reach a level where they are benefiting other people. And that's why when we talk about the virtue of the alim over the abid, which the Prophet ﷺ, he told us is like the virtue of the moon over all of the other things in the heavens. Why is it that the virtue of the alim is so great? Because the benefit of the alim, the scholar, their benefit it is more than just themselves. Whereas the abid, the worshipper, their benefit is limited to themselves. However much they pray, however much they fast, however much they understand the right aqidah in Islam and the right belief, however much 
they have hope in Allah and fear of Allah and love for Allah. However much they make dua to Allah, however much they do from those actions, those actions are only benefiting them, broadly speaking. Of course, there are some actions that Abid does that are that benefit other people like Sadaqah and things like that. But generally speaking, the benefit is limited to that Abid, that worshiper. As for the scholar, the scholars, what makes him busy or what makes her busy, what makes them preoccupied is transmitting that benefit to other people. So their benefit is much, much greater because it's they do those acts of worship in themselves and they teach other people how to do them properly. And that's why these ahadith that talk about the great virtue of knowledge, really those are Generally speaking, those are in the voluntary area of knowledge, i.e. they are talking about that virtue as it relates to the voluntary aspect, not necessarily as it relates to the, the basic knowledge that every Muslim needs, although no doubt that has a share, you know, if a person goes out to learn the basic things that they need. But if their intention is to stop at just those basic things and to benefit themselves only, then Alhamdulillah, they've done a great thing and they have done a, a huge good deed in the sight of Allah But for them to go beyond that and to learn the knowledge with which they can benefit other people, that is where the real virtue of the talib ilm, of the student of knowledge and the virtue of the alim, the scholar, that's where it really comes in because of the benefit that they bring for other people and the good that they bring for their whole community. So you put one scholar in a community and that scholar by the permission of Allah can correct that entire community. But you put one abid, one worshipper in a community and that worshipper, mashallah, Allah bless them. They benefit themselves and they worship Allah and they bring good in that way. But ultimately, the effect and the benefit is limited just to that one person or, you know, that one person and, and a few of the deeds that they do that benefit other people. Whereas the scholar is the one that Allah brings about through them the correction of an entire nation or an entire uh, an entire community or even an entire ummah and wallah it's not it's not an exaggeration to say that Allah azawajal has put on this earth from time to time scholars who have brought about a correction and a revival to the entire ummah the entire muslim nation subhanallah so ultimately, that's what we really want as parents for our children. And, and this is really the reason I'm saying this is because as a parent, you have a choice. And it is, it, it is a choice at the end of the day. To begin with, you want your child to learn the obligatory things that they have to know. They have to know. And, you know, you strive for that and you work hard for that. And when your child, children have those things, you have to ask yourself a question. Do I want my children to just stop there? Or am I someone who wants my children to actually go beyond that? And again, this is about having high aspirations. Why is it that one of us as a parent can't sit here and say, I want my children to be a scholar. I want one of my children to be a scholar in Islam. Why could it not happen? What is there to stop that happening except for the weakness of our own motivation and our lack of aspiration and lack of hard work and lack of reliance upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after the help of Allah, what, what is there that would make that impossible? We have a great tradition in Islam of 
of the entire Ummah producing scholars from all over the world, even from communities where Arabic was not the, you know, not the main language or not the original language, and it was learned later on. We have examples of that more than we can count. So what is it to stop you doing the same for your children? At the end of the day, it requires great motivation. It requires uh, high aspirations and big dreams. And it requires you to learn what is needed from you as a parent to bring that about within your children. What is needed for you as a parent? Of course, no doubt why we tell you about the distinction between the father the ayn and the father kifaya, the obligatory knowledge and the voluntary knowledge, is because you know where the minimum standard is. The minimum standard is that my child knows the five pillars of Islam and the six pillars of Iman, and they know what Allah has forbidden for them, and they know the basic things that they're required to act upon during their life. I've done my job as a parent at a minimum level. But if I want the level of Ihsan, and I want the Darajat, the levels that Allah has prepared for the people of knowledge, and I want to have a share of that through my children, I have to wish for my children something more than just that minimum standard. I have to push them to go beyond that. And I think here, I would like to start with an example, uh, or uh, we talked about some principles and so on. Uh, what I would like to start with here is that don't wait for an Islamic university to come along for a sheikh to appear in your community, a scholar, an alim, uh, to appear in your community, or even a talib ilm, a student of knowledge, to appear in your community, and that those people are going to solve your problem. Those people are going to be the ones that are going to prepare your child. Ultimately, it's you as a parent. And we're going to hear later on about the example of the mother of Sufyan al-Thawri, rahimahumullah. And how it was, and in fact, if you look through the biographies of the great scholars of Islam, you see in many cases, their parents or one of their parents, if perhaps one of their parents had passed away, and they had this burning desire to do something for their children and to really, you know, push their children forward in terms of knowledge. And ultimately, not all of your children might bring that on board and accept it. Not all of your children might be able to reach that high level. But if they miss the highest of the high levels, subhanAllah, the levels that are below it are good enough. SubhanAllah. So that's why we say like if you aim for the minimum standard and some of your kids fall below that, you feel like they might fall into the haram or they might fall into the things that displease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if you're aiming for the high standards for your children and they fall short and some of them don't necessarily get involved in it or don't want to take it to that level, alhamdulillah, they're practicing Muslims and they have knowledge, alhamdulillah. And even with regard to my children, I, I never sort of say to my children that I'm forcing you, that I want you to reach a certain level of knowledge. Uh, but what we do is encourage them. And what we do is try to facilitate it for them. And then whichever of them take that on board to whatever level Allah makes easy for them, as a parent, your job is to facilitate. Your job is to support them, encourage them, motivate them, and have those high aspirations and big dreams for your children. And then whatever Allah makes easy from that. But you shouldn't be waiting for an institution or a sheikh or something to come along to fix your problem. Take that responsibility yourself. It's not necessary that you should be that alim, you should be that scholar. But at least if you know 
the path that your children need to go on, you can start them on that path. And along the way, if they're sincere and you're sincere, Allah will place people in their path that will bring them along that path further and will help them and will support them. So that being said, I would like to talk about some important pieces of information as we're taking our children along this path in terms of knowledge. And these principles apply to both the general, you know, the obligatory knowledge and the advanced knowledge. In reality, all of them apply, but particularly for those parents who want their children to achieve something more than just the minimum standard. So the first one that I'm going to mention to you is knowledge is memorization and understanding. Knowledge is comprised of memorization and understanding. And even though I'm only mentioning a handful of principles here, there are actually books that are written to teach you how to learn. Books, whole books that are written to teach you how to learn. And inshallah ta'ala, I hope and I pray and we ask Allah that al-Madrasat al-Umariyah plays a big role in this, in, in helping people to, to gain the knowledge they need to learn how to learn and then facilitating for people to be able to learn this knowledge and take this knowledge from reliable sources and being a stepping stone along the way for people to go on to much greater and much bigger things by the permission of Allah Azza wa That's what we hope. That's what we hope for Al-Madrasat Al-Umariyah that we wish to achieve and we, we plan that we and we hope and we ask Allah Azza wa for us to be able to achieve it. So right now, we're talking about knowledge being made up. This is one of the most fundamental things as a parent you need to know, that knowledge is made up of memorization and understanding. You can't just have one of them and not the other. And we have an evidence for this, and the evidence for this is a hadith. The particular wording I'm going to bring to you is from Jami' al-Tirmidhi, but this hadith is narrated from a huge number of companions in a huge number of different places. And this is the hadith of Abdurrahman ibn Abdullah ibn Mas'ud that he narrates from his father Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. And as we said, this hadith is narrated from numerous different companions in different wordings. This particular hadith ibn Mas'ud, he narrates from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he said, نَضَّرَ اللَّهُ إِمْرَأً سَمِعَ مَقَالَتِي فَوَعَاهَا وَحَفِظَهَا وَبَلَّغَهَا he said, may Allah brighten the face. And Nadara, the Prophet is making dua for Nadaratul Waj, for the person's face to become bright, for Allah to brighten the face of the one who hears what I said. Hears what the Prophet said. Fawa'aha, he absorbs it and internalizes it. Wahafidaha, and he memorizes it. وَبَلَّغَهَا And he conveys it onto other people. He conveys it onto other people. فَرُبَّ حَامِلِ فِقْهٍ إِلَى مَنْ هُوَ أَفْقَهُ مِنْ For perhaps a person would carry knowledge to someone who has more understanding of it, more fiqh of it than them. And in another narration, this one is from Ibn Majah, from the Hadith of Anas. فَرُبَّ حَامِلِ فِقْهٍ غَيْرِ فَقِيهِ Perhaps the person who carries some knowledge might not be faqih, might not understand it in detail. And perhaps a person 
might carry knowledge to someone who has more understanding than them. This hadith is a fundamental hadith which contains so many benefits and principles as it relates to talabul ilm. But the one that I wanted to focus on here is that knowledge is memorization and understanding. So here you have memorization, hafidhaha, the person memorizes it. The Prophet made dua for their face to be bright. Made dua for Allah to brighten their face. And this is the effects of this are seen in this world and even more so in the hereafter. The one who hears what the Prophet said, they're connected to the evidences. When the evidence comes to them, they bring it on board, they internalize it. They try to comprehend it to the extent that they're able to do. And they memorize it. And then they what do they do? They transmit it on. They transmit it on. They convey it to other people. That's what this ummah is, is. The knowledge that we have is based upon this. We hear the text from the Prophet ﷺ. We hear the ayat of the Qur'an. We internalize it. We memorize it. Transmit it on to other people. And sometimes it might be that the person who memorizes it doesn't understand it. Here the Prophet ﷺ distinguished between the memorization and understanding and he prays both of them. A person understands it, but he, he, might, he might memorize it, but not really understand it. Or he might understand it, but not as well. But when he conveys it to someone else, the person that he conveys it to understands it better than him. For example, I've just transmitted this hadith to you. The hadith, as we said, of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and the wording from the hadith of Anas at the end. It may well be that many of you watching this video understand this hadith better than me. So I tried to understand it. I listened to what the scholars said about it. I memorized it and I conveyed it. And it might be that, that you watching at home understand this hadith better than me. And then you learn it and you memorize it and you transmit it and it may be transmitted to someone more knowledgeable. But ultimately you're combining between memorization and understanding. And I think this is something that we fall short in as it relates to the tarbiyah of our children, the education of our children. Because often what it is, is we have focus on one of those two, but, but rarely do you see a parent that has the right balance of the two of them. So what we see from some parents is that their emphasis is hifth, usually the Quran. And, and of course, that's where we start with our hifth of the Quran. And the emphasis is on that. And you see the child hafid of the Qur'an and subhanAllah, that child doesn't know anything. Now, I want to be clear about something here. Memorization and understanding each have the right ages for them. So I'm not saying that we should be teaching the detailed understanding of the tafsir to a child who's seven years old or eight years old. I have no problem with them having any, uh, lots of memorization and little understanding and then transitioning towards having a lot of understanding and then you know less memorization as they go older that is something that the the salaf al-salih ta'ala the, the righteous predecessors they used to do in the sense that the emphasis for the young child should be more upon memorization because they have less ability to fully understand and also their ability to memorize is very great and there's no great urgency for them to have that fiqh at that stage 
you know, there's no great urgency for them to have it. As they get older, you increase the fiqh, and of course their ability to memorize somewhat decreases, so in a sense, it comes like that. And as for the adult, it's the other way around, the adult that's, that's seeking knowledge, because ultimately the adult is in great need of the understanding, and their memorization, their capability, to, and ability to memorize is relatively limited, re comparatively limited. So they tend to have, you know, slightly skewed on the side of more in the terms of fiqh and understanding and less in, in terms of uh, in terms of memorization. But, you know, it's that, it's, it's a balance. But what we see with some parents is that with some parents, all of that focus and all of that energy is on hifth al-Quran and the child reaches 15, 17, 20, 25, and they're half with of the Quran, but they don't understand anything from what they made hifth of. So sadly, this becomes like the example of the donkey that carries books. You load the books upon the donkey, but the donkey doesn't understand anything. Now, I'm not taking away from the hifth of the Quran or the hifth of the hadith or the hifth of mutun texts, subhanAllah, not at all, you know, never. But what we're saying is, you can't just see your role as hifth. That's it. That's the only role you have. The other extreme we see on the other side with some of the parents is, we see that their emphasis is understanding. And then there's no emphasis placed on hifth at all. And this really hurt me personally as a, as a student, um, when I first started learning, because this was the culture that I came from in terms of my schooling, the schooling that I had, my, my sort of, if you like, worldly education, is all the emphasis was on understanding and none of it was on memorization. And until this day, Wallahi Azim, I still feel the effects of this, that I wasn't brought up in a culture of hifth. We were brought up in a culture of understanding. If you wanted to get the highest grade, the memorization is very, very small. But what you really needed to do is to understand. And some parents transmit that onto their children in their tarbiyah. So all of the emphasis and all of the concentration is on what? Is on understanding. So now the child understands how to pray, understands uh, the, the requirements, understands the rules and regulations, understands what's allowed, what's not allowed but ultimately there's no memorization there. There's nothing there to carry it on. And that can be very dangerous because ultimately that understanding is only there for you when you have, you know, subhanAllah, those books to hand, when you have your notes in front of you, but ultimately you're just going through your daily life. You need to have things in your memory. And that's the sunnah of the Muslims, that's sunnah to muslimin we are an ummah that we carry this knowledge in our hearts, we carry it through memorization. And like I said, I, I, I give this advice wallah, to myself before anyone else, that I was brought up in a culture and I was educated in a culture that gave great importance to understanding and very little importance to memorization. And it has been uh, really difficult to get out of that habit and I'm still pushing myself to try to get out of that habit into the habit of balancing between those two things and having that memorization that backs up that understanding and not just having that understanding that subhanAllah, if you're if one day you don't have your books or one day you don't have your notes, 
that subhanAllah, you, you don't have anything then. And it's narrated from some of the pious predecessors. People used to say that the knowledge is what you have memorized. They used to even consider that if a, per a person can't use the word knowledge unless they have memorized something. Otherwise, it's not called knowledge. It's not called knowledge unless you have memorized it. Knowledge is what you've memorized. That's what they used to consider. Knowledge is what you have memorized. What you haven't memorized is not considered to be knowledge. They didn't consider it. The early generations, they didn't consider it to be ilm. They didn't consider it to be knowledge in many cases. So this is how we join between these two. And as we said, it's not a equal balance. There are times when you need to have more understanding, especially when the urgency is there for it. There are times when you might have a greater ability to do hifth, relative more free time, perhaps your age and so on. But ultimately, every one of us, regardless of our age, and especially with regard to our children, we're balancing between memorization and understanding. And ultimately, what we want is to develop a culture of hifth among our children. Memorization, not just of the Quran. And it's the next point that I want to bring, and I know we're coming towards the end of the episode, but this issue of not just limiting hifth to the Quran. The Quran is the first thing the Muslim memorizes, and there's no doubt about that. That is the sunnah of the Muslims. The first thing you memorize is the Quran, and there are many of the scholars of Islam in the past. They wouldn't allow you into their classes unless you had memorized the Quran. But we don't want the parent to just stop there. That's not big dreams. Those are not big aspirations to memorize the Quran and then to go on to memorize the hadith, to go on to memorize texts, to go on to memorize poetry, to go on to, to, to have far more, uh, far wider uh, sort of memorization than just for the parent to push the child, just finish the Quran and that's it and stop. So ultimately you need more than that if you want to encourage that culture of memorization among your children. And also for it not to be, as we said, just memorization, but to be memorization and understanding. So you see so many parents are pushing their children to memorize the Quran. May Allah bless them and that's a fantastic thing to do, but also to be pushing them to memorize some hadith, to memorize some of the basic essential things that a Muslim needs, to memorize some of the texts the, 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 that we're gonna talk about in the next episode, inshallah ta'ala, and to memorize you know, certain poetry and things like that that is gonna benefit them, inshallah, in their knowledge and gonna allow them to be of greater benefit to other people, to themselves and to other people. Because I mean, that's what we're, that's what we're here for, right? That's why when Imam Ahmed ta'ala was asked about the intention for seeking knowledge, he said, that you make the intention to remove the ignorance from yourself and from other people. That's all we have time for in this episode. We're continuing on with the essential things the parent needs. And I would remind you that going through a proper book of how to seek knowledge, that would be far more beneficial, inshallah, in terms of getting all the details of how to structure your child's Islamic education. But here, just to give you the, the summary of what a parent needs to be able to educate their child Islamically, and we'll be continuing with that in the next episode, inshallah ta'ala. That's what Allah made easy for me to mention, and Allah knows best. Wassalatu wassalamu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Assalamu alaikum. If you're enjoying these videos and you'd like to keep up to date with all of the courses we're going to be running, make sure you head over to amauathome.com.